Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Road Baptist Church Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Shirley, and I'd like to thank you for taking the time to listen. Each week, we will be releasing sermons and studies delivered directly from the pulpit at our church. Our goal with this podcast from Calvary Road Baptist Church is to make the gospel and sound biblical preaching more available to a wider audience. We hope that these sermons will be a blessing and an encouragement to you each week. As the scripture reads in Psalm 119 and verse 116, Uphold me according unto thy word, that I may live, and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Now, let's hear from God's word. Any other name? When that name is spoken, it affects people. People that know him, it ought to bring a sense of joy. Amen? People that don't know him, it tends to get them riled up in different ways. Because the name of Jesus is the most important name uh, that's ever been spoken here. Amen. It's the most important name. Because there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's why the world hates him. That's why he said, they hated me, they'll hate you. Because his name is a name of power. It is a name of power that causes a stirring of the Holy Spirit in the saints of God who know that he's got, it's the sweetest name I know, right? Isn't that what the song says? It's the sweetest name I know. I, I, I mean, I, I've heard some names thought, that's a good name. I've heard some names and thought, that's not a good name. But the name of Jesus, that's a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if you can't get excited about Jesus, you can't get excited about anything. Amen. Amen. I appreciate all that God does for us. I appreciate all His many blessings, but I don't worship the blessings of God. Amen. I don't worship the goodness of God. I worship the Son of God. I worship God, who He is. Amen. Not just what He does, but who He is. Now, I can get stirred up when I get to thinking about how good God has been to me. Amen. Amen. I sure can. But I'll tell you something, when people, when, we, when, when God's people together just say that Jesus, 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 man, that does something for me. Because that's my God. Amen. And, and I know Him, and He knows me. Amen. Don't miss out on a blessing this morning. Amen. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for following the Lord. I asked her before the service if she felt like singing. I mean, she's been... Uh, I'm sure she's tired and, and, you know, she's away from home helping Miss Martha and being there with them. And, and you know, just a lot going on with Miss Martha uh, healing and doing all those things. And, and, you know, sometimes coming into church, you, you really just want to sit and be ministered to. Amen. Uh, before I was the pastor here, I was the, I was the piano player at our church, at Dad's church. And that meant I never sat through a service. Sometimes I did on the piano bench the whole time. Amen. Uh, that happened to me at Caleb's youth meeting back in, at the beginning of the month. It was the first time that happened to me in a long time, Brother Tim, where I sat on a piano bench for an hour and a half, and my hamstrings knew it by the time I was done. Sometimes it's good to be able to come and just be ministered to, amen? But I appreciate your willingness, Miss Cindy, to sing and to lift up the Lord. He deserves to be lifted up, amen? Here's the truth. I think the old song says... That when we, our eyes focus on him, everything else becomes strangely dim. That's because when we can get our hearts and set our minds on him, all the troubles and all the trials and all the difficult things, they tend to just kind of fade into the background with him 
in the forefront. I'm glad I'm saved this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, while you're turning there, anybody got a word on your heart this morning you'd like to share? Praise. Give you this opportunity. Amen. It sure is good to be saved. Amen. Someone else, anyone, real quickly before we get started. Let me encourage you, don't be afraid to praise the Lord. Amen. Don't be afraid to lift a hand toward heaven when the Spirit of God is stirring. Don't be afraid to stand and give a word of of testimony, of praise to the Lord. You know he likes that, right? Amen. He likes that just as my wife, I'm assuming, enjoys it when I tell her that she looks pretty or she looks beautiful or I love her. God enjoys it when we say, Lord, you sure are good. Amen. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, we will read this uh, text verse. We actually started our sort of uh, verse-by-verse, word-by-word study through these verses Wednesday night because we got to this point in our study on the book of Ephesians, but Ephesians 2 chapter, or Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19, we've sort of plucked out these four verses as a, uh, a sort of, I guess, a text for our vision for the next year of growing together. Ephesians 2 19, now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And when we looked here originally at the, the vision of growth for our church, we, we discussed the importance of building on what came before, right? That, that foundational thing in Hebrews 6, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on into perfection, that God is a comprehensive God. And he never wants us to learn a lesson and then when we're done, drop it and move on to the next thing. But he wants us to take it in and as we go forward to build, right? God is, he is a builder, amen. He doesn't work in one shots, he works in building. And that's the way he has designed us as individuals and that's the way he has designed us as the church, that we have a foundation and that we build up and that we grow, right? He equates growing and building to the same thing in verses 21 and 22 that God's uh, church is a building. He also calls it a husbandry. He calls it a body, and to build the body of Christ, the church, is to grow the church. Amen. And that we are to grow together upon the foundation which is true and proper, Jesus Christ. Amen. We understand that. Uh, this same thought of the foundation which is Christ can also be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, where it says this, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, if we try to build the church on anything other than Christ, then it's doomed for failure. Amen. That is just a simple truth of the Bible. When we're building on a broken foundation, it is is impossible, but that one day that building will fall. Brother Tim and I were talking this morning before Sunday school. He was asking me, we were, we were talking about something, a question he had asked me, and he mentioned that passage where Jesus gave the parable of the one, the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish man who built his house on the sand, that, that eventually the right storm came along. Now, if someone builds on sand, not just any old rain is immediately going to knock it down. But eventually, a bad enough storm will come that the foundation of that sand will not be able to withhold the storm. And the Bible said great was the fall of it. 
The same is true for any congregation that builds on anything other than Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the cornerstone. And not only Jesus Christ, but in verse number 19, verse 20, we also see the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and that's the word of God. Amen. We're building on the word of God and Jesus Christ, which happen to be essentially the same thing. Jesus is our foundation. We'll undoubtedly look at this a little bit more in the future. But this morning, I want to uh, narrow in. Last week, we talked about the trust of growth. That in order for us as a church to grow, we must trust in Jesus. Amen. We went to Psalm, I believe it was chapter 37, if my mind's not failing me. And we looked at that progression of trust and all those things and how that we must learn to completely put our faith in the Lord Jesus if we hope to grow as a church this morning. I want to look at the, the verses, we mentioned that verse there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn over there with me, we'll be there for uh, the rest of the sermon this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, Paul is talking here to a flawed church, a greatly flawed church. And as he is speaking to them, he begins to speak to them about a number of things, but he is dealing with the concept of growth based on the church itself and how that we are to progress and go forward. And we're given some of the most powerful verses about growth in the Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And I want to look at these verses that precede that verse we read that said, No foundation can other man lay than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We understand that, but I want to look at these verses that come before that so that we can understand what he is actually trying to say about that and what he's building up to and understanding is this. He is speaking to a congregation which he labels as carnal in verse number 1. We're going to talk about what that word carnal means and, and explain kind of what he's saying when he breaks that down because you all know, those of you, I'm sure, who've been in church for many years have heard plenty of teaching and preaching on the book of 1 Corinthians and you understand the problems that they were facing of sin that had crept into the church, but that was not their only problem. That was a problem with one man and how the church dealt with that one man, which was they hadn't. Amen. When Paul wrote the letter, his initial statement was basically y'all aren't doing your job as a church if you're going to allow that kind of sin to go on and say nothing about it right that's the same thing that goes on in a lot of churches today when preachers refuse to preach against sin it's the same it's the same uh, mindset that is broken and not built on the lord jesus the lord jesus brought grace and truth you cannot have one without the other amen so Paul is telling this church that, and he deals with that, but then he begins in verse number three, in chapter three, excuse me, in, in chapter two, he begins to deal with some, some issues that they need to understand, and that is this understanding that true growth only comes from God. Amen. Now, we could get, there are people out there who know how to succeed from a worldly standpoint. Amen. People who, when it comes down to it, they're wealthy today, they're popular today, they're famous today because they have a natural ability to succeed. Amen? People, they have what we would call like the modest touch. Everything they touch turns to gold. They have that. That is not the kind of growth that the church needs. Amen? We do not need gold from the world standpoint. The growth that we need is the growth that comes from God. And Paul's going to deal with that. As we observe this passage, I, I want to narrow in on this thought, and that's the giver of growth. And as I began to study this, this thought of the giver of growth, I'd written some things down months ago, and, and studying this passage and some other ones, it's actually kind of, 
It's grown, uh, funnily enough. So we're really only going to deal with the first part of that today. But we're going to narrow in our look here at the giver of growth. We understand genuine growth. And when we talk about growth, we're talking about spiritual growth. We're talking about the maturity of the Christian. We're talking about the furtherance of the kingdom and the gospel. Those things only come from God. You cannot fabricate genuine growth. It only comes from God. As we're looking at it this morning, I want to look first at the dispensing of the giver. That's what we'll be looking at today specifically, is the dispensing of the giver. And that word dispense, you, you all, some of you may immediately recognize that word is, is tied to that word dispensation. And we've talked about what dispensationalism is here sometime back on Sunday night when we looked at what those are and really what it is. That word, it just means how God dispenses things to the earth, how God hands things down, gives things down to the earth in the way that God has dealt with the earth in terms of dispensing judgment and salvation and those kinds of things. Now, I'll say this. We're not looking at that this morning. But what we're talking about is God dispensing growth because growth only comes from God. He's the only one who can give it. Amen. In, in really in everything, even in nature, growth only comes from God. You say, well, you know, when, when, when a, a child is conceived and that child is growing, it's growing because the mother is feeding it and the mother will know. At any moment, that could stop. And when it does, what will we say? It's in God's hands. Because it was in God's hands from the very beginning. The, the air we breathe is in God's hands. Amen. The strength in our limbs is in God's hands. Our bodies work in the way they're supposed to work. That's in God's hands. And the only thing that can dispense physical and spiritual growth is God. Anything that does not come from God does not belong in God's house. Amen. The dispensing of the giver. To gain a deeper understanding of this, I want us to look here in these verses. And we'll start reading here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse number 1. And, and I want to pray and ask the Lord to help us. I want us to, as Brother Marty was praying this morning, he prayed that the Lord would help us as a congregation, and that includes me, who is a part of this body, to not only hear the word, but to be a doer also, as James said, right? So let's pray together now and ask the Lord to help us to hear his word, to grow thereby. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, God, for the spirit that we felt. Thank you, God, for Jesus, Lord, for, for who you are, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Calvary. I pray, God, if there's one today who has not ever been saved, God, that you would speak to their heart this morning, that they would not leave today the way they came, that they'd come to know you in salvation and the free pardon of sin. I pray for Brother Scott and Miss Kirsten upstairs as they're uh, teaching those children, Lord, that if there's a young child up there this morning who's never been saved, that the gospel might come to their heart today, that they might believe and be saved, Lord. I pray this morning in this part of the service right here, as we observe your word, God, that you'd help us, Lord, not to be hearers only, but to be doers also. Help us, God, to retain your word. Help us to grow thereby. We love you. We need you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to hurry now. Number, first, under this thought of the dispensing of the giver, I want to look at the divisions of mankind that are shown in these passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and also in chapter 2. Quickly, in verse number 1, it says this, And I, I brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. 
Those are some scathing words from the Apostle Paul, in case you're wondering. He's saying, there's some things I'd like to tell you, some things I'd like to show you and teach you, but I can't because you're carnal and you're not spiritual. Amen. That's a harsh statement. So what does that mean? Well, Paul has actually been building on this, which is why the first word in that verse of number three is, and, because he's building on what he's already said. So we'll back up quickly and I'll show you there are three divisions of mankind that are present here in this passage. And they start back in chapter 2, verse number uh, 14. We'll look there. It's not chronological. I just want to show it to you here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 14 says this, But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So Paul speaks first of a natural man. That's the first division of mankind. There is the natural man. A natural man is someone who has been born and is still in the same state they were in naturally at birth. That means they are unsaved. A natural man, an unsaved person, cannot receive, it says, the things of God. They are unable to receive them. That is why, if you, you know, when young people get saved and they get fired up and JC comes in and he learns something in Sunday school and he's like, oh man, this is, this is right and this is a sin. If he were to go to school and get around some people at school who were doing the things he had learned were wrong, he would say, hey, the Bible says that's wrong, but they're not saved. That's not going to make them say, oh, well, you're right, I should stop doing that. Someone who has never been saved is not able to receive the things of God. They don't understand why we would get teared up and, and raise a hand at the song, Jesus, Jesus. They, they don't understand that. They might be in a church and someone stand with arms raised or shout or, or go to the altar and cry and they would say, I, I don't understand that. My son, two years old, sweet little boy, sitting back there with his mom in service. If she gets excited, she begins to cry. He gets, he gets tore up. He'll start crying, Mama, don't cry. Because he is still in his natural form. He doesn't understand the things of God. He's young. He doesn't know what that means. And, and, and even Peyton, she's five now. And, you know, she's a little older. Maybe wouldn't just weep at the moment seeing Brooke cry. And we could probably say, well, she's crying because she's happy. But she wouldn't really understand that because she's never been saved. But once someone gets saved and they feel the breath of the Holy Spirit, suddenly they begin to receive and understand the things of God. The reason the Bible don't make sense to the whole world out there is because they don't have the Holy Spirit in them revealing to them the things of God, right? Paul told them earlier in the chapter in 1 Corinthians 2, verse number 4, he said this, My speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He was very simply telling them this, salvation... And the things of God are not built upon the wisdom of men. In fact, the Bible says the things of God are foolishness to the natural man. Why would God choose a preacher? Because he did. And he didn't ask us. That's why he called it the, he chose the foolishness of preaching. Not because preaching is foolish, but because it appears foolish to the unregenerate. To someone who has never been saved, coming in here, worshiping God, the preacher standing up and taking the word of God, people literally changing the way they live their lives according to what the Bible says is foolishness to them. Why? Because they are natural. 
The natural man will not, cannot, does not receive the things of God. So that's one division of man. The second division we're given in verse number 2. It is the spiritual man. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? That's referring to the natural man, understands the things of man. Even so, the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. Verse 12, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. So how do we receive the things of God? By the Spirit of God. There's the natural who has not the Spirit of God and can receive not spiritual things. Then there is the spiritual man. What is a spiritual man? A spiritual man, a spiritual woman, a spiritual person is someone who's been saved, and because they have been saved now, the Spirit of God then delivers and explains and teaches things to us. Only God can understand godly things. And therefore, the only way that a human being can understand the things of God is that the Spirit of God must dwell in us. Us in Christ, Christ in us, right? That is what a spiritual man. And, and, and now we have received them, and because we have received the Spirit which is of God, we can now know the things that are freely given to us of God. In fact, number, verse number 16 says this, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. How do we have the mind of Christ? Through the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God teaches to us what Jesus said he would. Jesus said, I'm going to send the comforter. When he gets there, he will speak of me. And whatsoever I tell him to speak, that will he say to you. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. The Spirit of God speaks of the Son of God. How can we think like Christ? How can we think like a godly person? How can we think like the Spirit? Only by the indwelling of the Spirit. Someone who is not saved cannot be a Christian. Amen. It's the natural man. Then there's the spiritual man. But then there's the third division. And that's the one he mentioned there in the first part of chapter 3, which is the carnal man. Well, you'd think there's really only two types of people, right? Saved and unsaved. Natural and spiritual. But then Paul reveals there is a third, and that is the carnal man. He says, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Let me ask you a simple question. If you're in Christ, are you saved? Yeah. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you. You can't be in Christ and not have Christ in you. And you can't, that, that's just the way it is. So if you're a babe in Christ, are you saved? The reason they're called a babe is because when you get saved, it's a new birth, right? You must be born again. When you get saved, you're a baby again. That's not an insult, it's just what you are. When you get saved, you're starting at the beginning. You don't know spiritual things, you don't understand spiritual things, you're a brand new baby in Christ. And now, here comes the milk, Right? That's what happens when a baby is born. We had our regular, whatever it was, monthly checkup for Parker. They go in, they weigh her, they check everything, and she's a brand new baby. And she has now doubled in weight since she was born. Amen. It's because she likes milk, and it's good for her. And that's why she has rolls. Amen. We were, we had to, you know, you had to undress them, get them out, and they said, oh, look, she's got leg rolls. And I mean, just looks like the, the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. Amen. That's how you want a baby to look. Hallelujah. You know, when they, the bigger, the, the older they get, you want them to kind of, you know, Get big and then stretch out. That's, at least that's the way our babies have all done. Hallelujah. So when you get saved, what happens is the Lord starts to give you things of the Spirit. 
And that is called the sincere milk of the word. That's what Paul calls it in Hebrews chapter 5. But in the second verse there of Corinthians 3, he said this, I have fed you with milk and not with meat. Who? Paul said, I have. That's because Paul had begun, essentially he was their pastor when he started that church, dealing with them, talking to them. He said, I've given you the word of God and I've tried to give you the sincere milk, that milk of the word, because when you first get saved, that's what you need. You need those sweet things, right? About salvation, about the promises of God, about the goodness of God. You need those sweet things because that's what milk is. It is sweet, right? And who in here likes to drink milk? Anybody? Not that many of you. What if it's got chocolate in it? Amen. It's getting sweeter all the time. See, I don't really like, I don't really like to drink milk either, only if I'm eating something that's super sweet, like cake or, you know, well, I don't need a lot of cake. You know, brownies. There we go. Brownies. If I don't have vanilla ice cream with it, hallelujah, I'll have a glass of milk. I don't really drink a lot of milk, but milk is sweet. If you go on a sugar cleanse and no sugar for a month, two months, three months, and then you take a drink of milk, whole milk, it's going to be sweet. Because milk is sweet. It's full of sugar. It is. It's, good. And it's also full of things that are good for you. Things that strengthen your bones and help you develop. That's why babies start on it, right? It's also easy on the infant's stomach. It doesn't hurt them. And it's not hard to get it down. It just slides right down the throat, right? You just let it go, and there it is. It takes no work to get the milk. It's just being given to you. Paul said this, I fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able Hebrews chapter 5 gives us a little better look at this, a little deeper look here. Hebrews chapter 5, verse number 11 says this, Of whom we have many things to say, speaking of the Lord, hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. When he says they're dull of hearing, he's saying, you can't hear this. You can't get this. You can't receive this. Same thing he was saying to them in 1 Corinthians 3, chapter, or verse number 2. For when the time ye ought to be teachers... Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now this gives us a little more of an insight to the characteristics of the carnal and the spiritual. Here's what we need to understand. A spiritual person is someone who has been saved and can receive the things of God. A carnal person, Paul says, is a babe in Christ. So are they saved? Yes, they are. So what's the difference? The difference is in verse number 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It's their walk. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 3 says this, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Do you see that? When he says walk as men, here's what he's saying. You're walking like the world, not like Christ. A carnal Christian is a Christian that does not walk according to the word of God. A carnal Christian is a Christian who is in the church because they're saved, but they're not a part of the church because they're acting like unsaved people. Amen. That is what Paul said was going on there in uh, the church of Corinth. And he also said this. He said, I can't even tell you the things you need to hear because you're only able to take the easy stuff. Right? Now, milk is necessary for growth. Amen. But, 
There comes a point when milk isn't enough. There comes a point when we will begin to introduce table food to Parker. Amen. You'll begin to introduce green vegetables. Introduce, uh, you know, and, and we'll give her things that are also good, like desserts. You know, that's what the, that's what the grandparents want to do, right? Ice cream, baby. Like she never had anything. All she has now. My dad does not ask for permission, and I don't guess he needs it. He raised me, so. Uh, but the fact is, there comes a point when they need more than that, right? They need more than just milk. They need strong, here's what he uses, strong meat. Now, when I think of something being strong, it's tough, right? Now, in this day, I don't think they were going to Ruth's Chris and having filet mignon. Meat was a, was a commodity, Right? The meat they were eating sometime, a lot of it was, you know, sheep, mutton, lamb. Now, I like lamb, but y'all know lamb has a strong flavor. Y'all know that? We use the word gamey, strong. When I eat steak, it's not a flavor that reaches out and punches me in the face. Now, they might put a lot of seasoning on there that'll do that, but the, the meat itself is a smooth flavor. It's tender. Strong meat. You taste it. The taste comes through. And you got to work it over before you can get it down. Y'all, amen. Y'all, any of y'all ever had one of those extra well-done steaks? Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like, give me, give me the A1. I don't need A1. Well, you don't like A1. No, but this needs it. Hallelujah. Because it's like chewing shoe leather. You got to work it, work it, work it until you can finally get it down. And you know it's good for you. Man, you got to really, well, that's what strong meat is. And sometimes the Word of God is like that. Strong. And sometimes the message that God sends is like that. God ever sent a message like that to your heart? Preacher ever got up and preached a message and you thought, well, everything's fine, I'm cool the way I am. And you come to church and God goes, hey, boom. And you think, oof, that was rough. That was strong meat. Here's what Paul said. Y'all are a bunch of babies. That's not what I'm saying. That's what Paul said to them. Corinth, y'all are a bunch of babies. I want to give y'all some stuff that's really going to help you but you can't take it. The only thing I can give you is milk. In Hebrews, he said this. He said, such time as you should be able to teach, I'm having to teach you the first things that we learn. He said the first principles of the oracles of God. That's the sayings of God. What God has said, that's his word. I'm having to teach you about Noah's Ark. Hey man, I'm having to teach you about, about Romans Road. And you've been saved for 15, 20 years. You should be a teacher. And instead, I'm having to teach you the little things. That's what Paul's saying. That's what he's telling Corinth. And here's what he says. Why is it like that? It wasn't because they weren't smart. It wasn't because they couldn't learn. It was because they were carnal. A carnal Christian is a Christian who retains worldly appetites, worldly lifestyles, they want to be able to live their life the way they want to live it, but still say, I'm a Christian. Amen. That man in Corinth, having an affair with his father's wife, still coming to church like nothing's wrong, and nobody's saying anything to him. And here's what Paul said, you can't have it both ways. You can't live like the world and be a part of what God's doing. Amen? And he's going to start talking about growth. Why? 
Carnal Christians will stunt the growth of God's building. Amen. Because what a carnal Christian is, it is a Christian who is in rebellion to the Word of God. They cannot receive what's being said because they can't handle it. It's not because they don't have the Spirit. They do. They just can't handle it. They just, they're just rejecting it. They're just saying, no, I, I can't handle that. Right? We're being told here, and it told us in verse number 3, 1 Corinthians 3, that they were walking as men. That's the distinguishing word there. It's their walk. In other words, a, a carnal man is a saved person who lives and walks like a natural person. They're saved, but they want to keep living like the world. This is the, these are the divisions of mankind. Let me hurry. I've hit my watch and stopped things, so I don't know how long I've been. The divisiveness of mankind, in verse number 3, we read it, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not, are ye not carnal and walk as men? The divisiveness of mankind, Paul's declaring here to them that they have allowed themselves to become divisive and to, to divide each other. Now, this is not God putting them into categories of saying you're either spiritual, natural, or you're carnal, but now they are beginning to divide amongst themselves. We see their divisive actions in verse number 3. We have divisive actions here. Very simply, this is a progressive walk in carnality that is shown in verse 3. Read it. He said, whereas, which means that right where you are, this is going on, there's among you envying, strife, and divisions. You're carnal because these things are going on in the church. Now, that man who was in a wicked sin of fornication, he was carnal because of a wicked sin of fornication. But that wasn't everybody in the church. Not everybody in the church was out being a fornicator. Just that one man was being called out for that here in this instance. But a lot of people in the church had begun to be, they had been carnal. Why? Because of verse number three. Because of envying, strife, and divisions. You see that? These are the divisive actions that were going on inside the church. As we're, we're seeing juxtaposed here as verse 16 where they have the mind of Christ down here, we see they have the mind of worldly men. And here's what that mind is. Envy. It's a covetous emotion. Can y'all agree envy is a covetous, wicked emotion? The Bible says in Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel, anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? That is a rhetorical question because the answer is nobody. When you allow envy to come into your heart, you are setting yourself up for destruction and destroying others. Well, what, what is envy? It's a fervent and heated emotion of covetousness and jealousy that rises up in the heart. You ever felt that? Let's be honest. You ever looked at someone and been envious of something they have? I have. It's a natural thing to feel that because we have the sin nature inside of us. The problem is not when we experience a feeling of envy. The problem is when we allow a feeling of envy. And then we let it fester and build up, right? We think about it. We don't just have a thought. I have thoughts. Everybody has thoughts. But no, we don't have a thought. We think about it. Well, why do they have that? And I don't. Why, I wish that my kids were like their kids. I wish my wife was like his wife. I wish my husband was like her husband. These are envious, covetous, evil thoughts. Amen. I wish that we had what they had. 
my mom used to always say a saying, I wish I had what they had and they had a feather. Then we'd both be tickled. That's what she'd say, a little joke. But we have those thoughts and those feelings, those envious. Envious is looking at someone else and wanting what they have or not wanting them to have what they have. They don't deserve that. Why does everybody always say good things about them and not about me? Right? These are evil thoughts. Are y'all listening? It's one thing to have that thought. It's another thing to think on that thought. To allow it to fester, to grow, to build. Well, they just don't care about me anyway. Nobody really cares about me. These are thoughts of envy, of a wicked, covetous feeling of something someone has you wish you had or someone has that you don't think they should have. It's an evil thought. But when we see not only these covetous emotions, but then there's conflict engaged in the second part. It says this, envying, then strife. Strife is not an emotion. Strife is a conflict that is engaged between people. Strife is something that is brought about by, usually, envy. It is a progressive carnality. It's contention in anger or enmity. It is the exertion or contention for superiority. It's a contest. This is, this is from Webster's 1820. It said this, a contest of emulation. That word emulation, that's a, that's a good old word. And here's what emulations are. It's the effort to match or surpass someone. Strife is almost always caused because someone thinks they're right and someone else is wrong. So they think they're better and they're worse. They deserve more and they deserve less. Strifes. How many churches have been torn apart because of envious strifes? How many families have fallen apart because of strifes? These are carnal things. These are dangerous things. These things will stunt the growth of a church. Why? Because God is the only one who gives growth. And God doesn't give growth to a carnal congregation. That's why Paul's sending this letter to Corinth. Y'all want God? Fix it. That's what he's saying. Amen? In 2 Corinthians, he said, I came to you with sharp words. These are sharp words. Not only do we see the conflict engaged, we see cliques are established. Next thing, you see envying, then what? Strife, and what's next? Divisions. Well, that's what happens, isn't it? Jesus said it's impossible, but conflict, trouble, trials. Here's the word he used. Offenses will come. You ever gotten offended? I have, whether I wanted to or not, felt offended. Being offended is almost always an offense against our pride. That's just truth. And when we allow that when, that, when that feeling comes along, a lot of times we can't help it. I just feel that way. But then I have to decide what to do with that feeling. And that is having a thought or thinking on it. Having a thought or allowing it to become a part of me. Now, I've seen a lot of people who have not only allowed offenses to become a part of them, but they have made it their identity. Someone who makes their offense an identity is someone who is headed down a path of destruction, right? Someone who allows something someone said or something someone didn't say to sink down deep to where it colors their whole identity. That is a, that is a dangerous thing, and what it leads to is it leads to strife, problems, buttonheads, issues, conflicts. 
Now, it's impossible that the offenses will come, but how we deal with those things is on us. And when we're saved, we're supposed to have with us the Spirit of God that allows us to deal with these things properly. But here's what Paul is saying. I can't even give you strong meat because some of y'all are wrapped up in envy and strife so much that you've headed into divisions. What's divisions? That's cliques being established. Groups. It's a disunion. Sedition. Y'all know what sedition is? Sedition is an act of, of, of people grouping together against authority, the authority of the Word of God, the authority of the church, the authority of the preacher, whatever it may be. People grouping up and saying, like a, like a mutiny. That's another part of, of that, that, uh, that division. It is people who were once together splitting off into groups. Well, I'm not a part of that, and they're not a part of me. Y'all know, how, y'all know they were dealing with that all the way back in, in Corinthians? In the first, I mean, the church hadn't been around very long at all, guys. And already Paul's having to send letters to churches. Hey, y'all have seen literal miracles performed. People raised from the dead and healed. And I'm having to tell y'all to quit clicking up and trying to break up the church of God. That's what he said. It's probably the number one danger in any congregation is envy. Strife. It's serious. And it always seems small, doesn't it? It's always some little thing. But the end result of envying and strife is this, divisions. Well, I'll I'll do whatever you need me to do, brother, but don't stick me with them. Well, that's a problem. Because we are one body in Christ. Right? Right? And if we're one body in Christ, the only way that we can grow is if God will give us growth. You don't believe me? Verse number four. I've already been long. I need to hurry. Verse number four. For while one saith, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Paulus, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is a Paulus? But ministers by whom you believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, and God, but God, but God gave the increase. Who gives the increase? If the Apostle Paul can't do it, I can't do it. If the Apostle Paul can't do it, you can't do it. The Apostle Paul, I mean, had a vision into heaven. Stopped on the road to Damascus by a bright light of the Lord shining down, made him blind, had his blindness healed. All those things. This guy, cast out, I mean, casting out devils, bit by the snake, didn't die, right? Miraculous things done. When that guy fell asleep in the window and hit the ground, probably dead, Paul goes to him, prays for him, and gets back up. Paul, I mean, headed for the chopping block for the cause of Christ, but he can't grow. He can't grow the church. He can't grow God's people. All he can do is plant. But it is only God who gives the increase. They were divisive. Divisive in their actions. They were divisive in personalities. We see, they say, well, I'm a Paul. I'm of of Apollos. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul said this, be followers of me even as I also am of Christ. So here's what that means. God will put men in the church to lead his church. 
Paul was serving as a pastor to these people, giving them the word of God as a leader of the church. Amen. That God had placed there. And Paul said in the same book, follow me as I follow Christ. So what does that mean? You're following Christ. Christ is using me to lead you. But the moment that I step away from Christ, stop following me. Amen. I don't have time to focus on that right now, but I'll say the same thing is absolutely true of me. The moment I step away from the word of God and the truth of God, stop, stop looking at me and following me. Amen. We are following God. Now God chooses men to lead. He chooses pastors and places. And I believe Brother Gentry, when he was here the other day, he made the statement, and I've heard it a bunch of times, how that a church will take on the personality of their pastor. And I've seen that, I understand that, and I think that's, that's, that's true because it's impossible for someone to be so involved in, in, in a church and in your life as being the pastor and it not have an effect. But I'll tell you this, this is not my church, and y'all are not my people. This is God's church. These are God's people, and I'm here to serve God. But when people become so torn up about personalities that they begin to identify themselves by those personalities, they've gone the wrong direction. Amen. I'm not going to call any words out, but there's people right now who would say, well, I am a such and such uh, person. I'm a such and such person. What does that mean? Well, I follow after that man and his teachings. Well, back it up because I'm not a Paulian. I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. That does not mean that I do not receive teachings from men because I do. But if those teachings don't come from God's word and Christ himself, then they're no good. And by the way, I've never met a man or read after a man who only ever taught right. I don't have a commentary that I trust 100%. Because the only one I can trust 100% is Christ. We're not divided by the personalities that we like. That's not who we are. Now, loyalty is good. The Bible encourages it. The word for loyalty in the Bible is faithfulness. We ought to be faithful to one another, faithful to God. 1 John chapter 3, 14 speaks of that. Colossians 4, 9, Paul speaks of the faithful brother, and those things are important, but they're not the utmost thing. They're divisive in personalities. They're divisive in power. They said, well, I'm a Paul, and I'm a Paulus. In verse, uh, in verse number 5, Paul said this, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're nobody. We're just ministers by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. Here's what he said. We're nothing, there's no power in me, there's no power in following after my teaching or Apollos' teaching. We're just the guys who brought the message. We planted, we watered, but it is Jesus. Amen. It's Jesus. People who become divided over this man's teaching, Brother Tim talked about Calvinism this morning. John Calvin isn't even responsible for some of the crazy stuff they say. But they follow after him, Calvinist, Arminian, whatever. Whoever may follow after, hey, let, back it up. Let's follow after the word of God and let's call ourselves Christians and not call ourselves anything else. Amen. We're not following after Paul. We're not following after Apollos. We're following after God. These are the, this is the divisiveness. They've begun to split up. Well, we're not like them because they like Apollos better. And they're not like us because we like Paul better. And I'm not like them because they like this or I like this. No, no, no. Back it up and stop. This church, we want to grow we have to be together. We're talking about comprehensive building, dwelling together in unity. Well, I don't have to. Well, that's right, you don't have to. But if you want to be a part of the growth that God's got planned for our church, then you do have to. The dispensations of the giver, in verse 6 and 7, I need to hurry and be done. We read it. Paul said, I planted a Paul's water. 
He understood his place in growth. These are the dispensations of growth. Who gives growth? I planted, Paul swatted, but God gave the increase. So Paul understood his place. He said, I'm just here to do the work that God wants me to do. The only one who can give growth is God. No amount of planting will fabricate growth if God doesn't give it. He understood his place in growth. He understood, we understand, we must understand our power in growth in verse 7. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Reminds me of there where Paul said we ought to be careful when we think ourselves to be something when we're nothing. And then Paul said this, neither is he that planteth anything. Who planted? Paul. He said, I planted. And neither is he that planteth anything. You know what he said? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. That is not a carnal statement. That is not a natural statement. The carnal and natural says, look at me. But the spiritual says, look at God. Paul said, neither is he that planteth anything. Don't talk about how you're with me and you're for me because I'm nothing. And neither is Apollos. We're nothing. Neither is he that planteth nor he that watereth. But God that giveth the increase. He is the one with all of the power. You ever heard anybody say, well, bless God, I'd like to see them get it done without me. Okay. Go find you a nice place to sit down. And God will show you what he can do without you. God will show you what he can do without me. There's not a man on earth that God has to have to accomplish his work. God chooses to use us because he is good and he loves us. He chooses to bless us because he's good and he loves us. He don't have to have us. We're nothing. We have no power. We understand, Paul understood his place. We understand our power. We understand our part in growth. And that's in verse 8. He said this, Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. Say, well, I can do my part and stay over here, and they can do their part over there and stay over there. Really? Because Paul said we're one. Who? Me and you. And you. And you. I'm one with you. You're one with me. We are one body in Christ. The preacher is one with the singer and the piano player and the missionaries that we support. Every work of God that this church puts a single finger toward, a single dollar into, it is all working toward the same thing. And what is that? It is the furtherance of the gospel. Because what kind of growth are we talking about here? We're not talking about financial growth. Because we know that God's success is not measured in money, right? We're not talking about numerical growth in crowds because God's success is not measured by the number of the crowd. God's success is measured in the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. To succeed in the work of God is not to see people saved. Now, listen to me. Why? Because what if I go and plant and plant and plant and plant and water and water and water and water? I see two saved. 
I plant and water 100 people, and I see one saved. I plant and water 1,000 people, and I see five saved. Am I a success or am I a failure? Well, here's the question. Can I create growth? No, I cannot. Growth only comes from God. So what is the success of, what is the measurement of success? Am I planting? Am I watering? Am I walking with the mind of Christ? Then the only one who measures my success is God. And it is his choice where he gives the increase. This morning in Sunday school, Brother Tim, I was listening to his lesson. He was talking about Christians or people who have been out of church and whether they've been saved or had not been saved. I remember, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop. I remember as a young man, and I've told this before in the church, but I remember as a young man, my papa being out of church and being an alcoholic. And I remember when I announced my call to preach, I asked him to come and preach because I was going to be preaching at our church for the first time on a Wednesday night. He stopped by our house there. <clears throat> they live on the same road. And I said, hey, Pap, I'm going to be preaching this Wednesday night. I don't know if you'd heard that I announced my call to preach. He said, yeah, I heard that. That's good. I said, well, I'd love it if you'd come. And uh, he didn't. He didn't come. And the reason he didn't come is because he was just racked with guilt. Going to church made him completely overwhelmed with guilt, but he didn't think he could stop drinking. Amen. I thought he's lost. That was probably the moment when I thought, there's no way. There's no way my papa can be saved if he wouldn't even come and hear his firstborn grandson preach. That's what I thought. It broke my heart. Everywhere I went, every church I went to as a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old boy, if they said, anybody got a word on your heart, I stood up and said, will y'all pray for my papaw? He's an alcoholic. He's out of church. I don't even know if he's ever been saved. I mean, I, everywhere I went, begging people, pray with me. Guess what? He had been saved. One day, I've told the story, he got right with God. He didn't get saved. He got saved when he was young. Some circumstances in life pulled him out of church, and he had so much guilt and so much shame in his life that he allowed that to keep him away from God's house all those years. But when he got back in, it was not a boom. God drew him back in. He surrendered to what God was telling him, and he stopped walking as the world and started walking like a Christian. As far as I know, he's never taken a drink since then. And he's been in church every Sunday, every Wednesday, playing instruments with the choir and, and traveling with the choir, and he'll send testify. I mean, he, he loves the Lord and serving the Lord. So God restored him back into the church, and, God, and I had to say, well, I was wrong. I was dead wrong that he was saved. He was a Christian. But you know what he was? He was carnal. He wasn't right with God. I don't know how many years, 20, 20 plus years. Stuck. Going nowhere. And since then, he has grown. The person he is today is nothing like the person he was then. Nothing. 
Because God gives growth. God does. And when he surrendered to that, God began to grow in him. And then God began to use him to grow the ministries of dad's church. God can do that with anyone. 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 But here's what he needs. He needs a church of spiritual people. Very simply what that means is this. People who are living for God and not for themselves. Young people. Y'all know how many people, how many kids got saved at your age? How old are you, Chloe? Twelve. Got saved at five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and then hit sixteen, right? Just turned sixteen, didn't you? And then they just went headfirst into carnal Christianity. And then their life stopped spiritually. That's what the devil wants. He wants to take you in the middle of living spiritual, and he wants to interrupt it and stop it. If he can do that, he can throw a wrench in the gear of the whole church. One part, not in its place, affects the whole body. Right? Miss Doris, when your leg was hurt, did it affect your whole body? We talked about just having pains in your ribs, right? From when you was trying to get up. She didn't hurt her ribs, she hurt her leg. But when one part of our body goes wrong, me and Brother James was talking about your feet, hurting on the top, walking on the bottom, right? Hurts the whole body. Miss Linda, last week in the bed because of vertigo, one, one little thing, an ear, suddenly her whole body, one part that will not get in unity with the church and will not live for God, and will not allow the Lord to work in them and grow them away from the carnality, affects the whole body. The whole book of 1 Corinthians, spurned by one man's sin and a congregation's inability to move past it. If we want growth, then we have to understand the dispensation of growth. The dispensing of growth very simply is this. The dispensing of the giver is that God gives growth. And he gives it to a church that is in unity and that is walking according to his word and the power of the Spirit. Do we want growth? I do. Does anybody else want God to grow our church? Does he want God to make us all more spiritually mature? We want God to, to, to start saving more people. See more kids coming in on the bus. See more families coming in and joining the church. We want to see those things? The only way we're going to see those things is if we are together growing as a spiritual congregation. Unrepented sin will stunt the growth of the church quicker than you can bat an eye. Thank you again for listening to the Calvary Road Baptist Church podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church in Shepherdsville, Kentucky, you can find the link to our website in the show notes to www.calvaryroadbaptistchurch.com. We're so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to today's sermon, and we hope that the Lord will use it to edify you in the faith. If you'd like to help spread the word about this podcast, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or by telling a friend. Thank you again, 
and have a blessed day in the Lord.